All right, coming at you live from Houston, Texas. I am here in-house with the man, John Marcus. I came all the way from the beautiful shores of Maui, Hawaii to be here tonight, Steve, for this live podcast in person. Very rare. Seems like I only do it in Texas and Eugene, but so so it'd be. There's something about that. So, I mean, Texas, Hawaii. Uh, <laughs> There's a leak sunshine here. I'll <laughs> yeah. take it. Sweet. Well, tonight we have a very special topic brought to you by John. And I'm excited to talk about it because it's pretty much why we're horrible coaches. Yes, why we suck at coaching. Yeah, you heard that right. So we're going to talk about all the things that make us bad at what we do. And once again, as always, John tries to run you off from this podcast and you'll question why you're trying to listen to advice from us when we're telling you about how bad we are and how often we screw up and oh, the yeah. stupid things that we do. Oh, all the time. Um, so hopefully it's enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, this this could get pretty bad. Yeah. I might not be coaching after it's this. It's okay. So. Hey, and if you're a hater... Then listen up, because <laughs> you're, you're going right. to be having a good time. Pop the champagne, baby. Haters going to hate. <laughs> you will have your your year's supply of let's run gossip and fuel mm-hmm. to, to hate on us yeah. if you want. Negative so. recruit against us all you want. <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. <laughs> That's true. So um, so why don't, you, why don't you start? Why do you suck? Oh, man, a lot of reasons. Um you know, you can go, you know, down a litany of things, but I think, you know, experience is always number one. I don't think we're ever and myself ever experienced enough to, you know, fully take the weight of any situation or any athlete you're working with, um, you know, to the depth it deserves. You know, like I said, early in my coaching career, I was more about like writing workouts, figuring out, you know, okay, what training system cycles, all this type of stuff to impact um, the physiology of an athlete. And, you know, as I've matured, it's been more about connecting with people, you know, and it's all about people. You got to know the person to be able to coach the athlete. And, you know, they're, they're, they're wedded together. And if you don't take the time to know what person you're working with, then you don't really know the impact of the athlete. Um, or that a certain type of session or, you know, session or string of sessions together in a cycle is really going to, you know, impact them. You know, number two is like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, I'm just guessing. Like, I mean, you know, we try to be as scientific as possible and be like, oh man, you got these different physiological demands and you want to like parade them in a certain order of operations. But at the end of the day, you know, Steve and I were talking a little earlier offline uh, it's it's all about it's a balancing act. We're basically holding, you know, like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten plates in the air with an athlete and trying to just not drop every plate. So how can we, you know, make sure we're balancing things all the time? I mean, uh, an athlete of mine who, uh, you know, uh, I work with was asking me, oh, can you just give me a, a really, you know, brief detail of what a training cycle looks like for me and um, you know, when I should be doing the most I- intensity and volume, uh, in, in a buildup to like, uh, you know, a ultra marathon she wants to do. And I was like, well, Cam, it's like, you know, I, I, there's all these factors that go into training and it's like, we can't just say, well, it's just a nice linear, you know, input where it's like, okay, do this stimulus. And then, or, you know, and then you get this kind of reciprocal adaptation and then you just nice and linearly get faster and stronger. No, it's like, 
you got to know how someone's feeling today. Like, did you get, you know, good enough sleep? Are you, you know, stressed out about something? Are you, um, you know, adapting to the training loads? Are you not? Are you under the weather? How's your iron levels? How's your hydration levels? How's your nutrition? I mean, there's just the scope of everything to like get it done is so, you know, wide that any one thing can seriously derail any type of periodization scheme you have set up in your head. And but at the same time too, you got to be able to take all that stuff and sometimes just get the work done. Just like, I don't care. Just go run, just go run. You know, so maybe, you know, very, uh, at times maybe bipolar as well, even, you know, I hate to use that and offend anybody. I mean, I know it's a serious condition, but just to put it out in the nomenclature here, it's like, some days I'm just very much soft, touchy-feely, like, okay, hey, don't worry about it. We'll, you know, okay. I guess the better word in terminology is being inconsistent. And then other days it's like, no, you got to go get this work done. You, you know, no, I don't care. Today is the day you have to work out. It's non-negotiable. I don't care how you feel. You may feel tired. You may feel fatigued. Shut up and run. You know, shut up and do the reps. Like, let's go. You know, and so it's like consistently inconsistent might be another reason why I'm an awful coach. Um, those, those are some, uh, <laughs> some pretty good starting points. Yeah, so the, the inconsistency, I'm sure, is a blast for yeah, your athletes. Yes, yes. That show up and don't know what to expect. Yes. They're probably like, oh, this coach is good mood, bad yeah. mood. Like, <laughs> well, it depends. You know, it depends what mood the athlete's that, in. You know, because you, you, you feed off who you're working with. You do. You and do. also about what the demands of the ultimate goal yeah. race or the end game race is going to be. You know, and then sometimes, too, it's just pure lack of planning, like (laughs) pure lack of planning. Like as much as I like to sit down and create these like really elaborate, beautiful training programs or cycles. And you know, it's just, it's just tasks on a piece of paper. And at the end of the day, it's like the more important thing is like, here's a general arching theme about how, how and why we're doing something and how we're going to go about or approach it. But at the same time too, it can go out the window in a minute and we can create something completely different on the spot, you know, and to some people that is not really securing and it doesn't really come off as like, Oh, I know what I'm doing, but you know, there's a very interesting line I read, um, in one of the many books I digested in this last month of vacation or last week of vacation here, or, um, I can't remember which book, but it basically said, you know, someone who is really, detailed about their craft, a master or someone who's becoming a master, you know, it's not that they know what to do. It's like they can surmise very quickly what not to do. And I think that's where what I mean by just making up on the spot. It's like if, you know, you have a certain type of session plan, it's like, okay, we're going to do an all out, you know, uh, speed endurance session today and we're going to hit this. And this person just comes and you can just tell there's zero pop, zero like, you know, elasticity and their central nervous system still fried for maybe something you did a couple days earlier in the weight room or something, or they just haven't been getting good sleep or they're really stressed out. It's like, there's no reason you should do that type of session. It's going to have zero, zero input or positive input on where you're trying to go from an adaptation standpoint. But at the same time too, you might just have to get the work done regardless and, you know, show the athlete that, Hey, you can run fast when tired. So again, it's again, that type of inconsistency, it's hard to follow that, you know, frame of logic, but it's always trying to really get the most out of the athlete and put them in a growth, you know, uh, situation 
in in every training session, whether it's a prescribed and planned one where they know three, four days in advance what they're doing, or if it's just, all right, let's blow it up, you know, the playbook and just, you know, call an audible and wing it right now. So there's a couple good reasons why I think I'm pretty not good at coaching. But <laughs> Steve, what about yourself? Some uh, some good uh, good starting ones. You know, I think to, to stick to the mental health analogies, I'd say I'm very ADD as a coach. <laughs> so I'm I'm way too all over the freaking place. <laughs> like whether that's from an organizational standpoint, like everyone has this this perception I think that I have like all these organizational stuff done, all these master plans, and it's really just this mess of junk mm-hmm. everywhere. Whether it's mess of training stuff written in notebooks or on napkins or on wherever like my training is just all over the place like my organization skills are are non-existent i think um so i'd say that that's number one is i'm horribly organized and that goes i'll go out to practice a lot of times and i've written so many workouts and i'll just forget to check and i'll be i'll go up to the athlete and be like yeah, um, what what did I tell you? <laughs> yeah, you I do that all the time too. Like, what are you doing today? <laughs> Hold on, let me let me double check. Yeah, what are you doing? Oh, like, like, what do you what do you got going on? And I think at first, like, people are like, "Is is he serious? Like, that this is his job to do that? Yeah. <laughs> like, you wrote it. Like, this is your job." And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm, I mean, I forgot. I mean, I got it somewhere. I can <laughs> I can look it up on an email or mm-hmm. something, but." uh but I forgot what you're doing. So that happens so many times. Oh, yeah. Um, it's unbelievable how often it happens. So that's that's number one, um, which ties into probably my forgetfulness, too. I'm, I'm horribly forgetful on, on everything. If I don't write it down, it's it didn't happen. <laughs> like, if I don't write it down, put a note, it, it doesn't occur. I mean, I tell my athletes, like, and this is no joke, like, I tell them, text bomb me. Like if there was oh, yeah. something you told me to do that's important yeah. and I haven't done it, then just blow up my phone. And they will. Like they will. Which ties, man, I'm just going to go on this yeah. roll here. <laughs> Which ties in my next one, communication. So I think I'm okay with it, but I I would probably say I suck at it. Well, my athletes would probably say I suck at it. Um, because again, like I'm great at communication in person. Like if you find me, like, we're going to sit down, we're going to chat for oh, a yeah. while, we're going to yeah. be on board. But the problem is finding me. <laughs> yeah. so I'm not always in my office. I'm not always where I'm supposed to be. Sometimes I get, I'm get i in the middle of the workday and I'm like, screwed, I need to go work at a coffee shop and I'll just disappear for a while. Um, I'm just weird and quir- quirky like that. Sometimes in my old office, I just lay down on the floor and do work. So I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Um I go through phases where I just don't answer my phone or I don't answer text messages because I'll go into one of these anti-technology rants where mm. I'm just like, I need to focus. I need to be on away from it. Um, which again was emphasized by this weekend where I dropped my phone in some water and didn't have a phone for two days. Nice. And it was brilliant. It was okay. It the, was okay. The world, the world didn't end. The world still turned. People yes. still ran. People still did their workouts. Yeah. It was amazing. It was all right. It was amazing. <laughs> and I still navigated my way to Austin and back, which was <laughs> beyond amazing. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I mean, communication wise, like again, athletes, 
on my college team, I'll tell them, text bomb me if you really need something. If you don't, then I'm probably not going to answer you. So, mm-hmm. you know, that sometimes sucks. Um, I'm bad at replying to emails. I'm bad at a lot of communication stuff. Um, and then I guess the other, the other, the other one of my real weaknesses, which I've tried to work on is sometimes I'm really <laughs> bad at, and I think this ties to my ADD. I'm really bad at seeing obvious things. <laughs> you just, yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. Like seeing obvious things. Like sometimes I think I'm just in my own little world mm-hmm. and I'm just like, oh, wait, really? That happened? Yeah. Like, or I'm so focused on like this track thing or this running thing or you running your workout that I'll just completely miss this other whole section that I probably should have should have uh, cut on to. And it, actually, since we're being vulnerable here, where it really screws me over is on my girls team because mm-hmm. they're, they're um, less forgiving if I don't notice something. Yeah, true. Than my men's team. So it's, uh, they'll get on me so bad um, if I'm on in my own little land and, and not noticing things. So those are probably... For instance, before I get off that topic, for instance, like reading people's how how their mood changes or if someone comes in, I'm like, oh, you're normally excited. Yeah. Like, what's going on today? What's yeah, going on today? Yeah. yeah. Stuff like that. Sometimes I'm, I suck at it. Just probably why I can't read women at all. That's another issue. That's another issue. But yeah, so those, those are a couple things that I, I struggle horribly at. Yeah. Coaching. I think, you know, all that vulnerability shows that we're human. And, you know, we are still works in progress. I'm still a work in progress. I mean, I'm a ferocious reader. Uh, you know, recently I've been, you know, really inspired by, like, uh, Warren Buffett's partner in crime, Charlie Munger, uh, who is just like, read. Read as much as you can every day because that's where you learn. And so it's like, well, you're working with people. You want to be out there. But also, too, reading, like, books and, you know, hard knowledge, as I call it, instead of soft knowledge, which are magazine articles, Twitter posts, you know, yada, yada, yada. Like, that allows for a time a little bit, like, introspection and reflection. So, it's like, I'm the same with Steve. I mean, my work is my fourth priority. It goes, my wife is number one, my health is number two, family and friends are number three, and then comes coaching, then comes my work. And I think, you know, a lot of times we live in a society where it's like, all right, work is number one and you're always on and you're always yeah. doing it. But I mean, honestly, if you don't take care of those bare basics, like you're not going to be of any value to the people you help because, you know, if coaching is a humanistic endeavor where you're trying to relate to people and be a people person, you need to have the key people in your life knowing that you are, you have them as top priority. Um, so, it, you know, it's, it's like, well, what are we searching for? Like, how do we become better? Well, we just, we just keep practicing the art. You know, you just, you got to do the work. You got to show up every day and do the work. And some days it's going to be your best day. Some days not. I mean, a coach is just like an athlete, just as vulnerable to having great days of coaching, being really on point. Like, all right, I was able to be on top of everything and being able to, 
you know, make adjustments and being able to be relatable and do all this. And then other days, you know, you're just kind of flat. You're just kind of tired, man. You know, it's, you ain't get a good night's sleep. I, you know, me, I didn't have enough coffee. Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not there, you know, a hundred percent, even though it's what I love to do. But I think it's helps breed, you know, the ownership on, um, and autonomy on the athlete to be a little bit more proactive you know like i tell people the same thing like if i forget to follow up or follow through like text call me like email i hate it i forget about it i'm very absentee with it you know i got out of the corporate world to stop checking and answering emails all day instead be face to face or you know phone to phone you know ear to ear with somebody so those are key key things to i think be aware and it, the other day it comes back for me to coach's health. Like if I'm not a healthy person and a healthy coach, you know, I can't, can't be operating at full steam because, you know, you're going to get cognitive and neural fatigue yourself. I mean, you look at some of these football coaches or, you know, who suffer from burnout, like guys who are at the top of the food chain, you know, at, uh, you know, USC or Ohio State or these, you know, storied college programs where these NFL programs and it's like they just go so hard and don't take care of themselves. And then all of a sudden they just become an ineffective coach because they're not prioritizing their own health, their family's health, their spouse's health in time with them. So and I'm going to be unforgiving about that too. It's like, man, if we're in the middle of practice and my wife calls, I'm answering, answering my phone. I stole that one from Curtis Fry. Like I heard him talk a couple weeks ago and I was like, Brilliant. Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. Because, you know, you're always going to work with an athlete for a couple of years, five, six, seven, eight years, maybe 10, you know, in some cases, but you know, your spouse, that's forever. So <laughs> it's like, I rather have an athlete pissed off at me because I took a phone call in the middle of a session because it was my wife than my wife pissed off at me because I didn't answer a phone call. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's, you know, it, and, and, but I think it puts us on par with the coach. Like Steve and I were talking earlier I was thinking of this the other day and he said it offline. He goes, you know, it's the athlete that makes the coach. It's never really the coach that makes the athlete because I'm just as good of a coach if I'm coaching a gal who's too flat in the 800 versus a gal who's trying to break 230, I'm the same coach, you know, and you'll look at, oh, trying to break 230, 800 for a, you know, college female. It's like, that's, you know, by people, some people's standards are not really competitive, I'm like, yeah, but if she's getting the most she can out of herself and that's a big deal to her and, you know, she's on my team and I'm working with her, then I'm going to coach her up with the same fervor as I would, you know, the gal who's trying to break two. So, but again, but I'm the same coach. It's just that athlete who breaks two, you're going to hear a lot more about because that makes me look a whole lot better in that situation. But so what? (laughs) So what? true man that's uh <laughs> it's uh it's very true and i think that's you know i think above everything else is, as we were talking offline like that's the big thing is like it's easy to fall into this trap and i know i do it i'm sure you probably do it but you you sit there as a coach and you have those same questions those same reservations that you do as an athlete mm-hmm. like you sit there and like do I really know how to coach this athlete? Like, do yeah. I really know how to get there? And I, I think people have this misconception that, oh, like if you coach this fast person, like you have all the answers. And the reality is, is that if you coach fast people, I mean, yeah, you, you got to know what you're doing, but like they make you look better than 
you do. Right. You are. Like, coaching a fast person is like this IQ test where if you don't screw them up, then you proved you're not a bad, horrible yeah. coach. <laughs> yeah. Like, that, that's basically it. Right. Like, they're just good. They they're were good. just good. They were good before they met you. They'll be good mm-hmm. after yeah. they leave you. Like, I mean, there's several athletes where we're like, oh, you're just really good. Right. You're just really talented. There's a reason you were a multi time all-american yep. in the ncaa world there's a reason you're top three top two at ncaa championship there's a reason you're an ncaa champion you're really good <laughs> you know like oh okay great well let's hopefully get you a little bit better and not get you hurt yep that's my job just not to like mess you up yep. so versus it's like you know sometimes the, the the more rewarding coaching job is getting someone getting an athlete capturing the heart and mind of that athlete to really buy in and identify with the beauty of sport which is self-improvement competitiveness laying it on the line being a feisty you know ambitious competitor and seeing that transformation and that's where like scholastic coaching is really rewarding at the high school or college level um it, and even the middle school level is just seeing that transformation occur which doesn't necessarily occur at the post-collegiate level because you got people who've been through, you know, several seasons and are now playing a different kind of game. But, you know, it's really you just got to ask yourself why you're doing what you're doing and what what's the joy you take away from it. But, you know, I mean, there's still a lot I don't know. There's still a lot that I'm unsure of as a coach. You know, it's like, you know... And I'm always trying to put it through the 80-20 rule, you know, like 20% of what you do yields 80% of your results. So what's the 20% that's the most important thing to focus on that's going to yield your biggest profit or return on investment for the active activity that you're doing? So I think that's a good point because, again, we're still relatively young, although it's not getting like that anymore. <laughs> yeah, fortunately, yeah. The years aren't turning going down <laughs> yeah, at birthdays. Yeah. They just keep going up. They just keep going up. I feel older and older. Um, but that's a, that's a good point because I think sometimes as when you're a younger coach, there's this misconception, and I'm guilty of it as anybody, but there's this misconception that you need to focus on everything, control everything, be mm-hmm. perfect on it all, come up with this brilliant master plan, um, and like as a coach developing, you think like, oh my God, like I'm gonna do this and this and this, and we're gonna be perfect, and I'm gonna have every every five minutes of their training schedule mapped out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like they're gonna, I'm gonna have every mile done and every every interval checked, and I'm gonna take this reading and that reading and record this, and you know, and it's reinforced too because I mean I remember doing this is like even some governing bodies like for your training plans not in the u.s but if you coach athletes outside of the u.s they're they want to know what's going on and you got to fill out this stupid massive periodization sheet and for some and like your year-long planning and you know how everything goes down exactly and all this stuff and that's like the idea people have of good coaching right i think which it goes back to the classroom setting. Yeah. It, you know, I think it's a hangover from the mass education model where it's, all right, here's the lesson plan. Yep. Everyone's going to do the same lesson plan. And here's the homework. Everyone has to do the same homework. 
We're going to grade you on the homework and your and quiz you on your reading and homework, i.e. workouts. And then everyone's going to take the same tests, the same yeah. big tests, i.e. races. And we'll see how you all did with the same mass, you know, pro lesson plan programming or training, you know, and it, and it, it, you just, as you get, as you do this longer, you learn to decipher what the essential and the unessential is for each athlete. Now, that can differ from person to person, what's essential and unessential. And that's where the art of coaching comes in, experience comes in. But I mean, I still mess it up all the time too. And I still sometimes don't change as quickly as the athlete needs me to change them. Because what yeah. might be essential for them three you know for th three months ago is now non-essential or secondary you know emphasis because now with this something else needs to be essential and we need to shift as they shift and also the hard part too is we live in such a scheduled world you know it's like how long you know someone asked me this question how long does the training cycle last i go uh, 10 to 28 days <laughs> like depends what we're doing depends how quickly you adapt. depends on a lot of things like yeah 10 to 28 days seems to be an accepted window of a cycle of adaptation depending on who you are and which this you know stimulus is and how often you apply it and how well you recover but there's all those caveats there yeah and i think i think that's a, a brilliant point because i mean i remember growing up or learning um as you're taught these things like okay every cycle needs to be this length and then i need a down week and i need this recovery and i'm going to modulate this and it looks brilliant on paper um but then you get in the real world and you're like oh shit like, <laughs> yeah. like oh you're still sore today you're, you're still sore you're supposed to do a temp running you're still sore yeah. like, uh oh <laughs> yeah like you're still cranking things out um okay like uh maybe we won't take this um so it's just it's just it's interesting, but I think it comes back to almost like the school model where we, like you talked about, have this paper test and all that stuff that we have to do. But it's also this like art of knowing, like we really like to have certainty in our life. Like we really like to know the illusion, the yes. illusion of knowing what's right. going on, yes. the illusion of having control yes. and like creating these awesome like plans gives us the illusion that we control it more than we actually do because mm -hmm. it really sucks when you sit there and you're like all right here's what's gonna like here's the plan i think this is gonna work but i have no idea right and you have no control and it's a lot easier to step back and be like no no like if we do this, it's going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. But the problem is it doesn't, it doesn't work like that in the real life. And it's just this great grand illusion that we all are taught to buy, buy into that like, oh, if we control all this stuff, then we're going to be in control of the outcome. And the, the reality is like, no, the human body is one big complex mess. Right. 